Hello, I'm Timothy Balpert. This story is called Killed by Daniel from the book collection Machine of Death. For more information, please visit machineofdeath.net. Killed by Daniel by Julia Wainwright. He got the results in April, and his first thought was that he had no idea what to do with them. For a while, he kept the little slip of paper hidden at the back of a desk drawer at work, still inside its official envelope. He didn't want it in the house. Phil was bound to ferret it out. Phil wouldn't even have to try, bless him. He was just one of those people who found things. He'd thrown away all the other stuff that had been in there, all the leaflets about counseling and helplines and support groups and whatnot. Everything seemed to be full of leaflets these days. It was like the Sunday papers. You always had to give them a proper shaking over the coffee table before you read them. Otherwise, hundreds of shiny advertisements would be likely to slither out and attack you. After three weeks, Robin took the slip of paper out of his desk drawer and burnt it in the waste paper bin. Morning, sunshine. Robin groaned reluctantly, dragging himself out of sleep as the familiar scent dug its little caffeine hooks into him. He hauled himself ungracefully into a sitting position and took the mug from Phil. I hate you, he said, blinking resentfully at the bright spring morning filtering through the curtains. Oh, cheers, sweetie. Why do you always have to look so shiny at this time of day? You're like a scout leader or something. Well, that's what I am, sort of. Phil ran team-building holidays and survival courses for groups of business people, teenagers, anyone really, people looking to find themselves or each other. He and Robin had actually met on one of these excursions five years ago come July. Badgered into it by his then-boss, Robin had hated every second, but slogged through it valiantly, getting stuck in bogs and out of breath on mountains. One damp morning after Robin had spent a nightmarish hour trying to light a campfire with two sticks... Phil had quietly slipped him a cigarette lighter and winked. It wasn't favoritism, he said later. It was a reward. I admired your persevering spirit. He was doing well these days, Phil. The survival business had never been so popular. Here you go, read this and stop whinging. Phil thrust a copy of The Guardian in front of Robin and continued to bustle around the bedroom, tidying things that, as far as Robin was concerned, didn't really need tidying. It was an annoying yet comfortable habit. Phil sometimes reminded Robin of Mrs. Tiggywinkle, the hedgehog from the Beatrix Potter books. There was something small and neat and prickly about him. He'd told Phil that once, and wasn't allowed to bring it up ever again on pain of death. I think you're very cruel waking me up, he called over the sound of Phil rummaging through the cupboard on the landing. It's the weekend. Phil's head poked around the bedroom door. It is also child day. The head grinned at him and disappeared again. Oh, yeah. Robin put his coffee down on the bedside cabinet. It didn't seem to be agreeing with him this morning. He carefully folded the newspaper and put it to one side. That little printed slip, long gone to ashes, floated unbidden into his mind. It might not mean that, he thought. It probably means something quite... Can you stop by Sainsbury's on the way back? Phil called from downstairs. Fresh basil is needed, I fear. Robin realized he'd been holding his breath. He let it go on a sigh and got out of bed. 
Driving to Angela's felt strange today, as though he'd never done it before. He ended up missing a turn and found himself on the wrong street, where fat, tracksuit-clad women glared at him from their front gardens as he passed. Outside a chip shop, a group of hooded youths stood around smoking, their shoulders hunched. One of them caught his eye and made as if to run in front of the car, jumping back at the last minute. The other kids grinned, spilling out into the road as the car went past, reclaiming their territory. Robin saw the boy's face for a second in the rearview mirror. The hood had fallen back onto his shoulders, and he was laughing, running a hand through his hair, the sun in his eyes. Only a kid. When he finally reached Angela's house, he found himself unwilling to walk up the path and ring the bell. He sat there in his seat with his heart thudding wildly, feeling as though he couldn't quite catch his breath. I don't know whether you want tea, said Angelo distractedly. I don't think there is any anyway. She went to the foot of the stairs and called up. Love, did you get tea bags? Her cigarette was dangling, heavy ashed over the carpet. Robin winced and forced himself to look away. The answer floated faintly down from an upstairs room. It wasn't on the list. Sorry, she said to Robin and shrugged. What can you do? It doesn't matter, honestly, Robin smiled. I'll pick some up for you if you like. I've got to stop at Sainsbury's anyway. How have you been? Oh, you know. She stood awkwardly next to the sofa, thin arms folded across her chest, cigarette still dangling. Robin knew. Even in the long-ago days of their marriage, Angela had had a strange, aimless quality to her, as though she needed something heavy to anchor her down. When she was happy, it could be a lovely thing. They drifted together, the two of them, drifting along the seafront on windy days, into the country for makeshift picnics, where neither of them remembered to bring any food. She had such a nice laugh, like music, he'd thought fancifully. Neither of them had known where they were going, really. Not then. And Angela had never found out. Sometimes, even in those days, her aimlessness had made him want to kick her or shake her, anything to get a reaction. Now she drifted from room to room inside her little house, leaving traces of cigarette ash on all the surfaces, living in a dressing gown. She hadn't stepped out of that house for two years, give or take. She had a counselor she thought the world of, and a certificate from the doctor saying she was unable to work. And her son. Their son. Not much else. A tree, the test had told her. A tree would kill her. It was best not to risk it, she always said, peering out mistily from behind the net curtains. Not today, anyway. There were footsteps on the stairs. Robin hesitated for a second before he turned around. Be normal, he thought. Be the same. We ready to go, then? said Daniel. Daniel, his hair flopping in his eyes like it always did. Those ridiculous jeans and the battered army bag with all the badges on it. Just Daniel. Robin smiled. He couldn't help it. Daniel made him smile. Hiya, mate. You all right? Yep. See you, Mom. Daniel was halfway out the door already. Angela plucking nervously at his sleeve, cautioning both of them against this, against that, and the other. 
Robin reassured her, escaped, and followed his son out to the car, the way he did every Saturday. It was easy, he found, to pretend that things were normal. Daniel made everything easy. As he walked down the path, Robin smiled up at the blue sky. The spring sunshine was warm on his face, and it felt like an unexpected gift. So, he said, sneaking a sideways look at Daniel as they waited at the lights. Needs a haircut, he thought, automatically. He wondered whether that was just something that came with parenthood, the desire for everyone to have a decent haircut. He couldn't remember ever looking at someone before Daniel was born and thinking, needs a haircut. Now he found himself doing it all the time. That girl at the newsagents, for instance. He always wondered how she could see to count the change through that ridiculous fringe. He shook his head. Lunch, he declared. Then, I don't know, we could wander down to the seafront. Anything you fancy doing, Danny boy? Daniel rolled his eyes at the nickname and shrugged. Dunno, really. You staying over? He shook his head. Nah, I got club tonight. Is Phil cooking? Obviously, unless you've got a real yen for beans on toast, that is. Daniel laughed. Absurdly, Robin thought, score! Then remembering, a sickness rose up into his throat. The lights changed. He swallowed and concentrated on the traffic. How's your mum doing? he asked, using the deliberately light tone that always went with that question. He felt, rather than saw, Daniel shrug. Same. Right. She got Catherine out in the middle of the night Wednesday. The nightmares again. Thought she was having a heart attack. Robin frowned. Poor Angela. She could stay indoors as long as she liked, hiding from real trees. It couldn't stop imaginary ones from getting into her head. Poor Angela. But he'd joined that club now, hadn't he? Perhaps he should be feeling sorry for himself. Poor Robin. You know what we said still stands, don't you? You can always... Dad, there'll always be a room for you at ours, whenever you want. No problem. Yeah, and what about Mum? She's a problem, isn't she? Robin sighed. They went through this every week. We can get care for her. We can help more. You'd still see her, as much as you wanted. Everything doesn't have to be down to you, you know? It's fine. I can handle it, okay? I like things the way they are. But, Dad... Yes, yes, all right, he sighed. Just so long as you know, that's all. We're only at the end of the phone. Anyway, how's school? All right. It was just an ordinary drive. An ordinary sunny Saturday. How strange, thought Robin, that it should be so. When they got back, the kitchen smelled appealingly of Phil's lasagna. I knew you'd forget the basil, he said, so I made do. On your own head be it, he pointed a wooden spoon accusingly at Robin. <laughs> Shit, said Robin. Sorry, sorry. Luckily for you, my darling, said Phil, kissing his cheek, I am a culinary genius. Hi, Daniel. All right, said Daniel by way of a greeting, and threw his bag down on a chair. That smells brilliant. I'm starving. Gratified to hear it, Phil blinked at them both, then turned back to the stove. He was funny in the kitchen, Robin thought. Almost shy, as though he'd been caught doing something embarrassing. It was stupidly endearing. Daniel sat down at the table and started flicking through the Guardian, discarding the various sections, looking for the music reviews. Jesus, he said, why do they have to put so much crap in this thing? Watching them, Robin suddenly felt terribly separate. 
as though he were observing through a pane of glass or a screen. He wondered for a second whether he should leave, just sneak out the back door, quietly. He knew how to work the latch so that it wouldn't squeak. Probably neither of them would notice. In a minute or two, one or the other of them would look up, and he wouldn't be there. Stupid thing to think. Running away never solved anything. And where would he go? To his parents? Hardly. He'd have to go far enough away. He'd have to leave everyone and everything, except that nowhere he went would ever be far enough, would it? You couldn't run away from death, even if you could from life. He felt his eyes begin to prickle and covered his mouth with his hand. All right, people, said Phil. Prepare yourselves, please. Lunch is imminent. A sharp breeze blew off the sea, whipping Daniel's curly locks back and out of his face. That's better, thought Robin in his mum's voice. You can see your eyes now, than his dad. Not ought to blow the cobwebs away, right, son? I'm getting old, Robin thought. You want to go on the pier? He asked Daniel, who shrugged. Don't mind. Robin pushed his hands deeper into the pockets of his jacket. Anorak, he thought. There was no other word for it. I'm the sort of dad who wears an anorak. He'd never quite realized before how much he loved being that person. Sorry, he said. Probably a bit boring for you, really, coming over here every weekend. Nothing much to do. Daniel looked at him scornfully. Don't be an idiot, Dad. It's fine. He did seem fine, Robin thought, underneath all that teenage scowling. He allowed himself to admit, with a touch of pride, that Daniel looked happier when he was here. He was a good kid, but he had an overdeveloped sense of responsibility, and it frightened Robin sometimes. The world on his shoulders. That was Daniel. When he was with them, it was as if he could relax in a way he couldn't around Angela. He seemed to frown a little less, smile a little more. We should be proud, he thought defiantly. We've done everything right, Phil and I. What the hell have we ever done wrong? Daniel darted forward suddenly, picked up a stone and skimmed it into the waves. Phil said he's going to show me how to skin a rabbit next weekend, he said. <laughs> and where does Phil plan to get a rabbit from exactly? I don't know. Hmm, that's what worries me. They did wander up to the pier, in the end. Daniel had a half-hearted go on the amusements before pronouncing them a bit rubbish, really. He's too cool for that now, Robin thought fondly and bought him a Coke. Don't tell Phil, he said. He'll have my guts for garters. You don't have to do everything he says, you know. I don't, said Robin, stung. I was joking. You get on with Phil, don't you? Of course, said Daniel. He's cool, but, you know, you're my dad and all that. He shrugged and leant further forward over the railing, frowning down at the gray sea. Robin smiled around the lump in his throat. Behind them, a commotion started up as two seagulls had a scrap over an abandoned cardboard chip tray. Later, on the drive back to Angela's, Daniel started telling him about the club. We're organizing this gig night, he said, you know, for fundraising. It's going to be really cool. We've got the lab rats down already, and the January architects, even though they're crap, but the girls like them because they all fancy that Oliver bloke. Jimmy reckons he can get King Prawn, but I don't know. They're getting pretty big now. Right. Good. You realize I have very little idea what you're talking about. Daniel rolled his eyes. They're bands, Dad. Yeah, I got that part. 
It's going to be cool, Daniel said again. They all want to support the cause. Robin winced at the phrase. What? No, nothing. I don't know why you're so against me actually having something to believe in, Daniel said defensively. I'm not. It's just, you're still young, aren't you? You should be out enjoying yourself. Girlfriends, whatever. I know you agree with me, though. You do, don't you? What we stand for, being against the machine and the tests, all that. You believe in it, too. It's not a question of that, said Robin tiredly. In principle, yes, of course. I'm glad you're thinking about this stuff. It's just... It's wrong, said Daniel passionately. No one should ever know how they're going to die. You said that. Look at Mum, what it's done to her. It's just... It's fucked up and it's wrong. Robin could feel Daniel's eyes on him even while he watched the road. He knew without having to turn around what Daniel looked like right now. A certain light in the eyes. That note in his voice. It was this part of Daniel that he could imagine fearing. He tried not to imagine it, but he could. And he knew this because it was something that was a part of him, too. It was a deeply buried something. Very deep. But it was there. Things have got to change, Dad, continued Daniel. What if I went out and got that test? I'm nearly old enough. You wouldn't want that, would you? You wouldn't want me to know. No, said Robin, and shuddered. No, God forbid. We're just trying to make a difference, said Daniel. He sighed, and his voice changed, went small and muffled. I thought you'd think that was good. I do, honestly, Robin gripped the steering wheel. His head throbbed with a dull ache, as it had done all day, and all yesterday, too. He wondered vaguely when the headache had started, and realized he couldn't remember. I just don't want you to get hurt. Don't want you doing something you might regret, that's all. It was dusk by the time they reached Angela's house. He saw a curtain twitch in the living room as they drew up outside. Daniel, grabbing his bag and opening the passenger door almost as soon as Robin stopped the car, seemed as eager to get back to Angela as he had been earlier to get away. Robin never took it personally. It was just the way Daniel approached everything, the same intense concentration and restlessness. It'll be the death of him, said Robin's mum's voice in his head. He wished she would just be quiet. See you, Dad. Bye. Love you. An eye roll and a smile, and then he was gone. Robin sat in his car and watched the night slowly deepen to black around the halos of street lamps. In Daniel's bedroom, a light went on. On the way home, Robin drove past the street he'd accidentally turned down earlier in the day. The chip shop glowed brightly at him from the corner, but he couldn't see any of the kids. He wondered whether they'd moved on to new haunts for the night, or whether they were still there somewhere, lurking in the shadows. Instinctively, he checked to make sure his doors were locked. Lots of people are called Daniel. He'd been having bad dreams lately about dark alleyways, muggings, blood, men with knives and baseball bats, thugs and queer bashers. There was this boy who kept turning up night after night, hooded, his face in shadow, and dog tags on a chain around his neck. Every time, Robin twisted in the boy's grip, struggling not to get away, but to see the name he knew was marked on those tags. Because he had to know before... Before what? There were other dreams, too. 
and those dreams were worse. He stood at the back door for a full ten minutes when he got home, his hand frozen on the latch. Through the kitchen window, he could see Phil sitting at the table, tapping away at his laptop with a cup of coffee next to him, the steam rising from it in faint wisps. As Robin watched, he looked up and their eyes met. Phil hurried over and pulled open the door, concern on his face. Love, what's the matter? What's happened? He was reaching out for Robin, trying to pull him inside, out of the dark. The brightness and warmth of their kitchen spilled in a little pool from the open doorway, as though the house, too, were trying to embrace him. Robin tried to answer, but felt himself paralyzed. Even the smallest of decisions, to move or not to move, seemed far beyond him. When he looked down at his hands, though, he saw that they were moving, just a little, shaking as though with cold. They looked like someone else's hands, he thought, not his. Someone who was very old and very tired. He made an effort and cleared his throat. I've got to tell you something, he said, and stepped forward into the light. For more stories about the Machine of Death, visit our website, machineofdeath.net. This audio file is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means feel free to share it, send it around, or adapt it however you like, but please don't sell it. I'm Timothy Volpert, a poet and musician from Topeka, Kansas, and I love you and want the best for you. Thanks for listening.